Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well, today we are in the last 11 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 10. If you would open your Bibles there, 1 Samuel chapter 10. Uh, Saul, uh, 30-year-old Saul, is going to be um, uh, publicly anointed, announced uh, by Samuel, who's about 70, or in his 70s, I think, uh, as Israel's first prince king, I'll call him. The text talks prince. Uh, he's, he's putting him in, they're asking for a king, and yet uh, we know that there is only one king, uh, but he is coming in as kind of the prince king. The Israelites, for the first time in their 400-year existence since coming out of the exodus in Egypt, uh, are now entering into a monarchy, uh, for good, for bad, they are entering into that. So today, at the end of chapter 10, this is kind of a crowning moment, we could call it that. Uh, but there's a few events, I just want to proceed that precede that, uh, I want to make sure we're all up to score on it. Over in chapter 8, uh, in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, Samuel's getting old, he's in his 70s, he has two adult sons, uh, they're causing problems, actually by that time he's in his 50s, uh, they're causing problems. So the elders of Israel, on kind of behalf of all the people, uh, go to Samuel and, and demand that he appoint them a king. Uh, that's not so much the problem, but as we've talked about, and Pastor Cody uh, reiterated last Sunday, a, a king like the nations, that's the problem. And unlike people, uh, wanting a king like and that's the problem for it. And so Samuel's not happy about it. The Lord's not happy about it. In fact, uh, the Lord knows that their demand for is really a rejection of. Their demand for is a rejection of. A demand for a king uh, like the nations is really a rejection of Yahweh as their king, as according to what the Lord says. And God's people think that they know what they need in order to get what they want, um, and what they want is actually, when it comes right down to it from the Lord's perspective, life without the Lord. They kind of want them on the side, and they want to do their life. I'm just so glad we wouldn't want that to be the case, just to have the Lord on the side here and there. Yeah, that's a struggle sometimes, isn't it? So Samuel warns them about the choice that they're making. Look at the, actually at the end of chapter 8. He warns them, and uh, verse 19 says, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No! <laughs> Any questions on that? No, uh, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. It's so interesting. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. And so uh, that moment is kind of crowned today. And then into chapters nine and 10, last Sunday, Pastor Cody a resident a Jewish heritage guy. I thought it'd be perfect to have our resident Jewish heritage pastor enter us into the monarchy stage of Israel um, and our smallest pastor. <laughs> hey, you said it last week. I heard you. And our smallest pastor be able to introduce the second largest person in the book of 1 Samuel. Think about it. Anyway, 
so chapter 19, or 9, and through most of 10, I'll just say this, it reminds me of 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, you're like, why do we need to know about Hannah and, and what's going on in her life and what's happening? Because the, the, the thing that's happening with Hannah, uh, down in this little narrow thing of her, bless her heart, life going on, is going to matter. And that's kind of what's happened in this last section. It's like, wh- wh- why do we care about his lost donkeys? Because all the things that take place in 9 and 10 through verse 16 are going to matter. And they're not just going to matter to Saul. They're going to matter to the whole people. God is involved in the big. God is involved in the details. And Pastor Cody said it so well. The Lord works in the details. The Lord's work cannot be stopped. And the Lord works mercifully. A couple of the favorite statements he made last Sunday, I noted down, he said, uh, in all of it, behind all of it, there's a sovereign God directing every single thing in the accomplishment of his purpose, and this should give each of us hope. Amen to that. And then he went on to say, God is even using his people's rejection of him to accomplish his purposes. God is responding to his people's rejection with mercy. Our God is so unlike. So we enter the last 11 verses of chapter 10. And uh, we actually know what's going to happen. Samuel's going to do what Old Testament prophets do. He's going to speak the Lord's truth. And and then he's going to crown Saul uh, king, if you will, with that. And uh, Lord, we ask for your help. We just ask God that you would come and you would show yourself and you would uh, uh, just draw us closer to you. You are the God over all. You are the king of all things. You are the Lord of all things. And we just... uh, even with the rain falling, we are reminded that you care for us and you take care of us and you love on us and you pour yourself out. And so we adore you for it. Show us more of you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, God's people, if you will, at this point in time as a whole, have checked out with the Lord. Um, If we could go to the next slide, we can see uh, kind of our little buddy here at the computer, and that's kind of what God's people have done. They're just like done. They're just like bored. They're just like checked out with the Lord. But I actually think they would argue against that. I think they would probably say, no, that's not the case at all. Yahweh is our God and we serve Yahweh. But that's really interesting because I'll say this, we are incredible self-deceivers. Because in their viewpoint, I think they are, Yahweh is their, is their God, and yet from God's viewpoint, from Yahweh's viewpoint, Yahweh is like, actually, you've totally rejected me. And in fact, you are really doing life without me. So what happens here? Verse 17, chapter 10, let's pick up. Now, starts out. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. We've been there earlier in the book. And he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord. Here's the Old Testament prophet. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God. I mean, that's being said publicly. Listen, God is telling us that you have rejected me. And uh, let's see how big of a deal that makes to them. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and distresses and you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Now, that last part of that here, it sounds like the infamous family meeting. Did you ever have those? When you're growing up, like I remember mom or dad would call Don, Dave, and myself together, and, and it's like, family meeting in the living room, 
And every one of us are like, who did what? And why are we gonna pay the price for it? That's kind of what's going on. And so Samuel's just gathering everyone here. I'm totally expecting the family meeting. Gathers together. And actually, if you just knew what happened up to that point, you would think that God right now is gonna unleash his wrath. Because he just told them that God is not happy with this. And uh, in fact, you have rejected me and, and uh, he's instructed you and he's warned you and he's called you again and again and yet in it, um, God is merciful. So Samuel does again what Old Testament prophets do. He reminds them and he gives them the truth but again, it's like background noise. It's like white noise of what's happening. They hear it, but there's no heeding of it. They hear it, but there's no heeding of it. I would say it this way. They're numb to what God has to say. In fact, I'm just gonna ask the question, might that be you? I would just like uh, for you to ask yourself the question, am I numb to the Lord? Am I numb to the Lord? By the way, I'm not asking that question in any way to try and shame anyone. Shame on me if I am. That's not the point. The fact of the matter is, is I think it's just being real. It's just a real question to ask. It's just being honest about it. And because we're seeing what's happening here, God's people since chapter 8 have just been living in a spiritual fantasy world. Uh, they're thinking uh, kind of like, hey, all is good with Yahweh. Yahweh, you meet, man, we're, we're, we're together, we're in on it. And Yahweh's over here like, say what? Like, like what? In fact, there's no relationship going on here at all. Man, everything is good with the Lord. Matthew chapter seven. Many will call to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. Oh, but we did all kinds of things in your name. I never knew you. Do you see how deceitful humans can be? You know, God follows what we think rather than us considering and submitting ourselves under the reality of who God is and what God might be thinking and actually what God might be seeing. They are even told what God is viewing it here. You have rejected me. And yet they're like, yeah, whatever. I would say this, it's kind of like what's going on is like Charlie Brown's teacher. It's kind of in that whole thing of just blah, blah, blah. Heard it before, filed it away. Actually, I'm okay. I just prefer something different for me. I prefer something different for you. Thank you for your input, but I just preferring it my own way. I don't know, maybe that's even you this morning and, and me talking. It's like, wah, wah, wah. I just want for you to know, I'm just so not gonna get in your grill. I'm not gonna hellfire and brimstone you. Instead, I'm gonna invite you. I'm just gonna say, you know what? I've had times in my life where I've been numb. I understand maybe more than you know. And I just wanna invite you out of some numbness with the Lord if that's you. Because the Lord is merciful. 
In fact, let me kind of help work that a little bit. I think two things go into bringing numbness. One is callousness and the other is dullness. Let's talk about callousness here just for a minute. Callousness can be a good thing. It can be really good for guitar players, as I understand. It can be really good for cooks and for servers. How you carry those hot plates, do all that, like all up your arm, props to you. That takes skill, but it also takes some calluses to do that. Carpenters and workers and so forth. I mean, you just have to build up some calluses. Calluses can be good, but calluses can also be devastating because calluses remove feeling. Calluses can be a real problem when they're related to things like, I'm just callous to words. You know, what people speak, and what, hey, we, li- we, we live in a secular world. But we also have times where there's like times where it's like, you know what, that's just too much. And sometimes we just get callous to words, but words mean things. And words matter. It can be callous to people. Or callous to leaders like government or even police or church leaders. We can just be callous to life. We can become callous to church. And clearly here from the text, we can just become callous to the Lord and his word. Callousness. Callousness brings numbness, but also does dullness. Callousness is kind of an exterior thing. You know, it happens kind of on the outside, if you will, with that, and it builds a hardness on the outside. Dullness, I might relate more to the idea of it's kind of dullness, it's hardness on the inside. It's just a little bit of, I'm good, you know, I'm good. I'm just good where I'm at, I'm good with what I'm about. Personally, I could totally go for some dullness in life right now. At least for a series of it would be awesome. Kind of looking forward to it here in a couple months. But when we talk about dullness with the Lord, it just becomes like, God, schmod. Whatever. Bible, blah. And it's just like, okay. It says that, but, you know, whatever. I don't know, maybe that's you. And again, I'm just not in the mood to get in your grill, but I am totally in the mood to say, consider coming out of that. It's easy to get callous. It's easy to become dull. It's not a good place to live. God's people had become numb to the Lord and frankly, it makes sense. They're kind of unaware with it. That's why they're numb. They're just unaware of what's going on. They're thinking they're doing life with the Lord and the Lord's like, no, you've checked out. You're doing life without me. So a family meeting is called and Samuel leads it, verses 20 to 24. And Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Mitrites uh, was taken by Lot, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. 
verse 23. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upwards. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? By the way, it's really important to understand this. The Lord is in this. And the Lord is choosing. They have sought to choose on their own. But when it comes right down to it, the Lord is the one who is still sovereign over the whole situation. The Lord has chosen. What verse am I in? Okay, uh, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Yeah, there we are. There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. You kind of want to say that with a British accent and nowadays with that. But it's long live the king. Hey, uh, there's a key statement I want to get to here in just a second, but a couple things before that. Number one, it's important to understand that the text is making it very clear that this decision is a holistic decision by all the people of Israel. It's really important to understand that and carry that on through as we move through for Samuel here. This isn't a type of thing where just the leaders, just the elders of Israel are making this decision then everybody has to kind of like live with it. This is, everybody is in on the text, is very clear on that. This, this is an all-in decision. All of Israel is rejecting the Lord. That's what's going on. Secondly, it just still intrigues me, as Pastor Cody mentioned, God is still uh, working mercifully, that there's no overt wrath poured out. Man, if I were God, I would so just fry them. Like, how many times, man? And this is the last one. Now that we're all together, I want to do this with grand excitement and grand flair. <laughs> and yet the Lord doesn't do that. There's no full and final rejection of them by the Lord. And by the way, that should be very encouraging to you. Because at what point in time is God just going to get sick and tired of you and me? And yet his long suffering is really a neat thing. Instead, maybe worse, the Lord actually gives them what they want. He gives them what they want. He's accomplishing his big picture work of moving all things just where he wants it to go, including moving his people to a place where they need to learn what they need to learn. And sometimes we need to learn what we need to learn through God's sovereign hands by getting what we think we need. The Lord's allowing it to happen. He's still in control. They don't need a king like the nations, friends. They need a king unlike the nations. By the way, it's been a busy month of graduation for a lot. High school graduates, just a couple words to you. You are about to enter a really exciting time of life. Um, a little bit more freedom, maybe a lot more freedom. You're stepping more into adulthood. And here's the deal. You've already come to know the, I'll call them the circus carnies of life. You know, the things that are like, come on, man. Come on. I'm gonna tell you, when you get free on your own, they up their volume and they up their interest in you. And they want you quickly and they want you now. How do I know that? Trust me, I know. And by the way, so does everyone else sitting around you that's older than you. 
And in fact, high school graduates, that's one of the things that so drives us, to want you to make the right decisions. Because you are going to be teased and taunted. You're going to be called by all the life carnies. Come to me, hang with me, this is where it's at. Take me, follow me, drink me, watch me, be me, make me your thing, man. When you do, you'll be cool and awesome, and that's the thing. And on some of those, you will bite. But just like Samuel warned in chapter 8, all they do is take and take and take and take just until, like Samuel says, until you become enslaved to them. And I don't want to be that old guy, high school graduates, that's like, have a boring life. No, not at all. I want you to have an awesome life. But I want for you to know, not just from me, but from us, from God's word, that with the Lord is where the awesome is at. Okay? Adults, we know the carny calls, all right? In fact, we battle with them every day. If you're wondering what I mean by the carny calls, read Proverbs 7. It talks about the forbidden woman. It says, who lies in wait with seductive speech that persuades with smooth talk. And then it says, kind of like what Samuel said in chapter eight, and like an ox going to the slaughter, we follow her. Got that picture? It's pretty bloody. But that's the picture. And the seductive speech that draws us adults with stuff and money and success and love and lust and notoriety or degrees or control or image. Life with the Lord is where it's at. And I'm grateful that he works mercifully with us. So God does not pour out his wrath. Instead, he gives them what they want. Now, to a particular statement in verses 20 to 24. He has hidden himself among the baggage. Okay, let's work this. So the dice are rolled, verse 21, and the dice roll to the tribe of Benjamin. Then the dice roll to the clan of the Mitrites. It's said different in Hebrew, but I'm just saying it the way we usually read it in English. Um, And then the dice roll to the son of Kish. Saul, snake eyes, buddy. It's all on you. And then the end of verse 21, they all look around, they're excited. Saul, Saul. And he, see it there? For end of verse 21, he could not be found. So verse 22, so what do they do? Well, we're so self-sufficient. We gotta be able to find, no. What do they do? This is hilarious, you guys, what God is doing through all of this. So they go back to the Lord. Hey, Lord, do you know where he is? I don't even think they understand irony of what's unfolding here. God just must be 
so enjoying watching his people not suffer, but watching his people hopefully learn out of this. But they're slow to learn. So they inquired again of the Lord, and the Lord said, uh, he's hidden himself in the baggage. Uh, He's what? Listen, Saul right now is likely right around 30 years old. This is not a 10-year-old. This is not a 12-year-old. This is not a 7-year-old. This is a 30-year-old man. What's going on with this? Uh, There's a lot of talk about asking that question. Some kind of think he's playing a game out of pride. I don't think that's the case at all. What's going on with him? Well, I think we want to take a little bit of time here and let's understand Saul. Just kind of quickly, uh, look back to chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. We find in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 about Saul that, uh, uh, as Cody had covered, that Saul, it says in verses 1 and 2, is the son of a wealthy dad. And he's a handsome hunk. In fact, he's like the most handsome man of all the men. The guy guy all the other men want the worst for. (laughs) But he's super handsome and good looking. And he's tall. He's just impressive. The dude is Gaston. (laughs) Am I right? He is totally Gaston. I mean, you, you look at this and we think, he's got a really rich dad, he, he's super good looking, and he's like tall and impressive, and he eats 12 eggs a day. <laughs> That's in there somewhere. And I think we think Saul's got to be spoiled and arrogant and brash and like a Gaston. I don't think so at all. Let's take a look at some of the things and remind you of some of the things you had learned last week. 30-year-old Saul, verse nine, or I'm sorry, chapter nine, verse five. He's sent out by his dad to go find their lost donkeys. And in that, verse five, he says, no, they're not finding the donkeys. He says, uh, uh, let's go back, lest my father become anxious about us. I'm going to say this. I think Saul, that is very thoughtful. Very thoughtful of his dad. Because he knew there's going to be a point in time where dad becomes not concerned about the donkeys anymore. And he's actually concerned about his son and his son's servant. And he's more concerned about people than he is about the donkeys. And he's thinking of his dad. I think Saul here is a very thoughtful 30-year-old man. Also look at verse seven. I think Saul is very respectful, 30-year-old man. He says uh, in this, he's told, hey, let's go meet Samuel because everything Samuel says comes true and he knows things. And yet in it, uh, uh, Saul says, but we have not a present to bring the man of God. We just go right by those kinds of things. But I'm gonna be like, I I don't think I would have thought of that. You know, so sometimes when you're a little bit more wealth with things like that, those things come a little bit more naturally where, you know, you kind of have some funds, you come bring it. But I'll even say that's not the case even without wealth. I mean, oftentimes people come over, they'll, they'll bring us like flowers or something like that, and we're like, oh, man, we're so bad at that. I, I, I'm actually impressed by this 30-year-old guy. He's thinking, here, we're going to go meet Samuel, this man of God, this very important man, and we, we, we don't have any kind of gift to give. I don't think to manipulate him, just to be respectful. 
And then you keep adding. Look at verse 21 of chapter 9. Uh, uh, Saul answered Samuel after Samuel's like, spend some time with me. Uh, he says, I am not a Benjamite from the, uh, from the least of the tribes of Israel. Or am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? I think Saul is stunned that Samuel is interacting with this farm kid at heart, 30-year-old. Oh, by the way, look at chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Uh, Just to cut to the chase, uh, God gives Saul another heart, it says in verse 9. I think another unction with that. And it carries out in verse 10. uh, The Spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. Hey, listen, Saul right there, the Spirit of God comes upon Saul and Saul is speaking truth. And bringing God truth to be. Listen, he's thoughtful, he's respectful, he's humble, he's being used by God. And then we come to the uh, end of chapter 10, uh, the section from last week, verses 14 through 16. And let me read that. Verse 14, Saul's uncle said to him after he came back and to his servant, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Samuel's uncle said, please, Tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys have been found. And then the text includes for us. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. The matter of the kingdom is that Samuel privately anointed Saul as the king of Israel. I don't know about you, but if you like go on a trip and people, how'd it go? I would think that would be on the list. <laughs> Met Samuel. Cool. What's going on here? I can't say that I fully know, but I think I have to, uh, I'm concluding if I'll say it that way. I'm concluding that this thoughtful, respectful, used by God, humble, 30-year-old, good-looking, tall, farm kid at heart is really having a hard time taking this. Like, I actually just really enjoyed doing business with my dad. some real personal things and all that for my life story. And I think he's like, I actually love doing this. Why would I give up this to do that? I think he's just having a real hard time. I'm a, let me just cut to the chase. Saul a 30-year-old, at 30 years old, I would love to hang with this guy. If you know the rest of the story, you've probably just come to know a Saul that you had no idea about. Because the rest of the story starts going, he goes off the rails. And honestly, that's so much of what makes what's coming so exciting. Because I think right now this millennial, 
30-year-old, good-looking, farm kid at heart. We get that. We're the west side of, of Indianapolis. By the way, i got to tell you, so we're up in Carmel. And uh, at Harvest North, we go out for lunch afterwards. This isn't my notes. We went out for lunch afterwards, and uh, we go to this restaurant with some friends of ours from 30 years ago. We pull into the parking lot in this restaurant, and there are three parking spaces for golf carts. (laughs) I'm like, as an Avonite? What? Where am I, man? Sorry. Nothing to do with that. Listen, <laughs> West Siders at heart. I think Saul is a bit like that. He's just a farm kid at heart. And he's hiding. Why? I think he's scared to death with it. If you remove what you may know about Saul in the remainder of 1 Samuel... I think you find a young man that loves being in business with his dad, isn't looking to be anything any more than that. And he's hiding in the baggage, hoping what the Lord has for him just goes away. Hiding in the baggage. I just want to ask the question, is that you? Might you be hiding in the baggage? I'm always really careful with these kinds of applications that we don't grab a statement and take it way out of context. But when you understand the movement of the context, something's going on here. This really cool guy is hiding, scared. He knows what's about to take place. This whole thing's going public. And I'm really not sure he wants to do what actually the Lord has chosen him to do. And I think in the context of it, I do think it's actually a valid question to be asking. Might you be hiding in the baggage of what the Lord would want for you to be and do? Scared? Like the Lord may say, you know, I I have a special job for you. Maybe like Matthew 11, 28, 29. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and lowly heart and you will find rest for your souls. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. And it's like, but I'm scared of that and what might be some of the results of that. And maybe hiding in the baggage away from that. And I might just say, listen, you are so loved here and you are way more loved by the Lord. And the Lord wants to give you rest of your soul. He's not interested in taking, 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 taking you until you are slaved into a slave. He's actually inviting you into something that is so marvelous that you can become a child of the king of the universe. And yet I realize that can be a scary step. And maybe you are on a chasm point and where you're scared to take a step across. I just want to invite you to talk with someone. Get with someone. We'll have some people up here after the service. You're welcome to come up and grab a hold of one of them. But I just want to say, just tell them I'm scared about this, but I'm, this is just continuing to gnaw my heart. Don't go numb to it. Don't hide from it. 
Or maybe it's the kind of thing where Jesus said to the disciples, go and make disciples. Oh, by the way, do you realize that that isn't just for them? But follower of Christ, person redeemed in Christ, that's a call, great commission call for you as well. No, it's not. No, actually it is. Because we see it go on and on. Acts chapter one, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Don't hide from that. First Thessalonians 2.8, we loved you so much, we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to me. Yeah, but I've shared my life at times with people, and I got burned. All I know, me too. But you can't hide in that. Don't hide in it. Don't be numb to it. Listen, the Lord wants for you to be a disciple maker. No, that's for the pastors. No, actually, Ephesians says that our job is to equip you to do that. Don't hide in the baggage of being a disciple maker for the Lord. Or here's another one, Galatians 5.13, for you are called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as the opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Or Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. By the way, both of those are continuous action things. Not just when it works out well in the schedule, but it's to be a whole way of life kind of a thing. Maybe you're hiding away from serving. Maybe you're hiding away from just even being around other people just to submit to one another. To love on one another, to care for one another. Or maybe here's another one, Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. No, I can't do that. But I'll trash them on Twitter or Facebook or whatever other digital means I have. No, actually, that's not the call. The Lord is desiring of you that you would, we would be unlike the rest of the world and we would actually love our enemies and pray for them. Are we hiding from that? I'm just kind of leaving it here where it's like, before we go picking on Saul for hiding in the baggage away from what the Lord had in store for him, a serious look at ourselves would be fitting. Seeker of Christ. Maybe you've been watching and you've been learning about Jesus but you've been doing it from across the chasm and now it's time to take the step. It's time to receive Christ as your savior and drive the stake in the ground with him. The Lord would love that. He would love that. He would invite that. Maybe today that's what you need to do. Stop hiding from that. Follower of Christ. Is there something you're hiding from in following him? Don't. God's people had checked out with the Lord. And God's still going to accomplish what God's going to accomplish. And in it, he's going to try and draw his people back to him. But it's a great reminder. Listen. The Lord loves you Don't get numb to him. Don't hide away from him. It's not worth it.
It's a losing battle. And so, Lord, we thank you for your ongoing work of mercy and kindness, your patience, your love. Father, I thank you so much just for what you have shown us in your word of other people, of other people coming to know you, of other people who are wrestling with you, of other people whom you have chosen and you have, you have tasked them and, and even struggle with that. I've actually just come to really like this guy, Saul, so far in the text. Father, I just pray we might learn from the whole situation going on there. Maybe, Lord, in this room this morning, there's someone who's numb to Christ and has just been waiting for me to pray and be done. Father, it's so cool just to know that you love them and are gracious with them. And Father, I just ache for them and I just, I don't, pity them. I just love them and would ask that they might reconsider where they're at. Maybe they've just grown callous to you. Or maybe they're just dull to you. Father, might you love on them more. Increasingly so that they would be able just to pull out of that. run to you. Father, maybe there's some who are today who are hiding in the baggage because of life hurts. Because they've done that or maybe it's because other things have gotten in the way and there are other things actually that they love more than. Maybe some are just scared of what it might mean and how. God, I would pray you would impart upon us a sense of humble boldness. The Spirit of God would just rush upon us and draw us and grow us and press us and and push us that we would be able to see things that are only explainable through the work of the King of the universe. And we get to be a part of that. Oh my, what an honor and a blessing that would be. Father, show, show yourself marvelous, we pray. In your name, amen.